Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Matthew 5, 1 to 16. Well, as we journey through the New Testament together, today we reach a mountaintop. Literally, we come to the Sermon on the Mount. And really, this is an amazing vista to stop and really survey some of the most monumental teaching that has ever been given. Even in the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount stands out as a longer sample of the teaching of Jesus. If you've ever thought, man, I wish I could go back and hear Jesus teach, the Sermon on the Mount is the best snapshot that you are going to get. And so I'm excited to spend the next several days going through Matthew 5 through 7, the passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that some of our reading in Matthew helps set the stage for this. Um, You know, he comes to the mountain, he opens his mouth, and he teaches. But remember, what has been Matthew's main point? Jesus is the Christ. And all of his readers would understand uh, that means Jesus is the King. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what we really find is the king gives his manifesto. Uh, The the king says, hey, this is what my kingdom is all about. And and this uh, is how the people in my kingdom are going to live. And today, really, in we're going to look at the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12, and then also get into the familiar section where Jesus tells his people that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if we could sum that up, really, I think that then of this passage, what Jesus is saying to the crowds then is really the same as the always of this passage, the principles that are always true. And that really is the king's people, Jesus's people, will stand out in this world because of their radically different outlook and countercultural priorities. And you're going to see that especially in the Beatitudes. Every single one of these is not naturally how the world thinks. All of them turn worldly thinking on its head, but all of them come with blessing. And so what I want to do is to go through the Beatitudes today, and I want to challenge you as you kind of meditate, okay, uh, this passage is telling me that the king's people are going to stand out in this world because of their radically different outlook and countercultural priorities. Um, well, what is that going to mean for me now? I think the best way for you to think through that is pray for all of these attributes that will be listed in the Beatitudes. Uh, either after you're done listening to this podcast, uh, pray through them one by one, or maybe even while you're listening, once we're done talking about each attribute listed here in the Beatitudes, pause and pray, uh, pray for this attribute. So let's go through these together. First, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that uh, ending phrase there, I think is key because it helps to summarize more than just this one beatitude, it's showing us hey, that this is the king describing the kind of people that are a part of his kingdom. Uh, 
And that really fits in strongly with the gospel of Matthew. And then you start off with the word blessed, uh, which um, is a strong word. It's stronger than the modern word for happy. Uh, it is fortunate, happy, blessed, and even could have eschatological implications. That is, you're not just blessed now, but you are blessed eternally. And I think you'll see even in the promises that come with the Beatitudes, they are true in a sense now and will be fully realized to come. For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's true in some sense now, uh, but obviously not fully in the sense that we are not living in the kingdom of heaven uh, with King Jesus reigning yet. But let's get back to that attribute. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, Poor means poor, miserable, shabby, uh, and in spirit gives us the sense here that it's a poverty of spirit. It's really a deep humility is what it is talking about. It's realizing I am spiritually bankrupt without Christ. And I think a great biblical example of this that's not found in this passage, but elsewhere in the Gospels is the story that Jesus tells about uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the tax collector is the one who won't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is a great snapshot of what it means to be poor in spirit. And ultimately, there's so much of the gospel in this first beatitude. Uh, You cannot be saved without being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is is what will drive you to the Savior. But being poor in spirit is not an idea that should go away uh, once you are saved. Once you're saved, well, now you are rich in Christ, but you still carry on this sense that all the riches I have are because of Christ, not because of me, right? That attitude of being poor in spirit continues on into the Christian life. So have you come to realize that you need a Savior? That you do not have the adequate spiritual wealth to save yourself, and you desperately need uh, the riches of Christ. And then, are, are, do you lose sight of that right now in your life? Are you pretty comfortable with where you are? Are you patting yourself on the back for how mature you are spiritually, or are you still every day realizing I've got nothing and I would have nothing without Christ? Next, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, Mourn just has the idea of being sad or or grieving, and, and we should grieve over our sins. Second Corinthians 7 speaks of a godly sorrow that leads to repentance that we should have over our sin. And I think this is true really in the grand scheme of things. Those who mourn are those who will repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ, and therefore they will be comforted. But even on a continuing basis, we should mourn over our sin. I don't think this is limited just to our sin. We should mourn over the sin of our culture, of our society, the sin in this world. I think prophets or a prophet like Daniel or someone like Nehemiah um, are good examples of of prayers that mourn over corporate sin as well. Uh, Is that an attribute in your life? Uh, Next, blessed are those who, sorry, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Meekness is someone who is gentle, humble, considerate. Uh, They don't have to assert themselves. They don't have to 
always defend themselves. A great cross-reference for this is Psalm 37. Those that aren't worrying about what everyone else is doing, I'm going to focus on pleasing the Lord and trust that he will take care of me. And that's the promise here. You don't have to always assert yourself or fight for your own uh, agenda or desires because God is going to look out for you and cause you to inherit the earth. So are you never ending in just your defense of yourself or asserting yourself uh, or are you gentle and meek? Uh, Next, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, obviously, to some extent, this gets us thinking about the right, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, uh, that we need a righteousness that is given to us, we see from the rest of scriptures. But also, I think when we understand, yeah, we got to be poor in spirit, we do want to hunger and thirst for what is right. We want to do what is good. We should crave. I mean, that's the idea of hunger. Think of a food that you crave, um, something that maybe you you can't even go get right now uh, because it's at some restaurant that's closed or some restaurant where you used to live, but you are, oh man, I wish I had some of that right now. That's the attitude we should have for righteousness. Uh, Really, we should crave holiness. And we should seek that, obviously, first and foremost from Christ, but then we should seek to live that out. Is that your attitude? As you think about your home or your work or your life today, are you saying, God, I want to do what is right. I want to do what is just. Would you please help me in that? And God is promising here, he he will. Uh, Blessed are the merciful is the next one. Those who are merciful, those who are, uh, has the ideas of being sympathetic or compassionate. One uh, author described it as compassion in action. There's also an interesting link to Exodus 34, 6, where God reveals himself to Moses. He identifies himself as merciful. And I think, again, if you are someone who is poor in spirit, you're going to be merciful to others. You're not going to look at others and be like, well, why can't they get their act together? You're going to look at others and say, hey, there but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, And so I care about them. I want to do what I can to to help others, to show compassion to others. I think from our perspective, that would include sharing the gospel with others. We are to love mercy, and we should never lose sight of the mercy that God has shown us. And here we see will show us when we are merciful. Uh, Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, what's countercultural about this, which will become clearer in tomorrow's reading, especially when you think of the Jewish culture in which Jesus lived, dominated by the Pharisees and the chief priests and the religious leaders, it was much more about purity on the outside and purity in ceremony and tradition than it was about purity in heart. And that's a great thing to to pray for. God, I want to be pure, not just in my actions or um, in the externals. I want to be pure from the inside out. And we'll see a lot more about that uh, tomorrow. Uh, Nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I think this refers to, first and foremost, our relationships with others. We are always seeking peace. I think of Romans, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably at all. And when possible, right? We're never called to be nosy um, people. But when possible, when we can help bring peace to others, we should seek to do that. And it says, for they shall be called sons of God. And, And I'm convinced that this verse is saying that in a way that, hey, when you are a peacemaker, you're acting like 
God. And that's why you'll be called sons of God, because people will look at you and say, hey, you're a chip off the old block. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree uh, as they see your peacemaking lifestyle. And then we wrap up with the final ones dealing with persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think we need to pray for a resolve here that God, I will be committed to righteousness no matter what. I'm going to do what you say, no matter if it's popular, no matter if it gets me good feedback or if it brings persecution. And God, I want to have the right attitude of rejoicing when it comes. Verse 11, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That, that again is very countercultural because especially when people are falsely accusing you, when they are saying untrue, unfair things about you, that's one of the most frustrating things in life. But here God is saying, no, you're blessed and rejoice when this happens because your reward is great in heaven. So pray through those things. Pray that those things would affect you. Maybe choose a couple of them to meditate on more deeply. But again, you see all of those are very countercultural. The, the culture does not prioritize being poor in spirit. Um, the, the culture does not truly prioritize humility or things like mourning or meekness, uh, certainly not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The, these are not things that the world prizes, but they are things that God's people, the King's people are supposed to prize. And that leads us then to the familiar passage that you've no doubt heard many times, you are the salt of the earth, most likely referring to the preservative nature of salt there. You are the light of the world. You, you are meant to show light to the world. And verse 16, give glory to your father who is in heaven. And it warns there about salt that loses its saltiness or light that's hidden under a basket. How do I make sure I'm not losing my saltiness or hiding my light under a basket? Well, that's where I think we we need to connect this passage. And that was was something that was helpful for me reading through the Bible this time. Uh, lots of times when you preach through the Sermon on the Mount, you kind of go through the Beatitudes and then salt and light is kind of the next passage. And I think sometimes we fail to see the connection I think that should be there, that the Beatitudes flow right into this. You will be the salt of the earth. You will be the light of the world when you live uh, with the principles of the Beatitudes, these countercultural, different outlook things that our King has taught us to live. So I hope you get a sense of the magnitude of this passage. The king is giving his manifesto. His people should listen up and we should seek these things. And I want to encourage you to seek these things in prayer today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.